but also how that's expressed in the local church as being the body. And in particular, we were thinking about this idea that what I do in terms of growing my faith, serving as part of a team and giving financially, how that has an impact on other parts of the body, uh, that just as one part of the body affects all the others, so I affect uh, all the other parts of the church. And this week, it had been my intention to focus on um, an image that Paul uses a few times and that's all the way through Scripture about God's people being a family or a household. And so I, I picked um, quite early on in the week um, a few verses from Galatians. I'd love you to turn to them, page 1172. 1172. Galatians chapter 6, that's page 1172. 1172. And... Um, As ever, actually, and this is always quite good when it happens, I was, I was caught out by the reading that I'd chosen because having picked a reading to fit my theme and having begun to really invest in it in terms of reading and studying and praying it through, I then found the passage taking me off in quite a different direction. Uh, it's not that it's got nothing to do with being the family of God because you'll find in verse 10, which is the end of the passage I'm going to read for you, that's exactly what Paul calls the church, the family of believers. But I actually think God's got something else to say to us that, that has an impact on that or that, that connects in with that, that has everything to do uh, with growing and serving and giving. Um, and it has to do with a basic principle of life that turns out as well to be one of the most basic principles of spiritual life and faith that turns out, as it happens, to be maybe the most basic principle of the family life of God. And the basic principle is to do with that we reap our harvest to the same extent that we have sown for that harvest. We reap a harvest to the same extent and only to the extent that we have sown that harvest. I'm going to read you a little chunk, um, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through to 10. Um, although we're going to focus just on the last few verses of it, but it's not good to set it in context. This is Paul's letter to the Galatians. It's one of the very, very first bits of writing that we have in the whole of the New Testament in terms of how early it was written, probably within just three or four decades um, of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's written to a group of Christians in Galatia um, by one of the very earliest leaders of the Christian church, Paul. And he spent the first, what we call the first five chapters, though for him he didn't write in chapters and verses, that's just for our convenience, but he's spent the first five-sixths of the book or the letter um, focusing on how important it is to realize that everything that we have from God, including and most especially our relationship with him, our salvation, our, our rescuing by him, comes not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. Not by the works we achieve for him, but by the work that Jesus did for us. And that everything we do, whether it's growing our faith, serving others, giving financially, everything we do, we do by way of response to him, not in order to earn his love, or not by by duty. That's what the first five chapters are about. And then right at the end of his letter, he comes to these verses which are, are very practical, very focused on, well, what does this look like as it's cashed out in the local church, as it's cashed out between believers like us? This is what he says, Galatians 6, verse 1 to 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, 
And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are nothing, well, then they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to somebody else. For each one should carry their own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. We reap where we sow. The one who sows to please their sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, well, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Um, Child development experts talk about how important it is for children to to develop the ability um, to look forward to what's called delayed gratification. Um, It's something I've never been very good at. Uh, But the idea is, and this is one of the classic psychological experiments ever done with and on children, um, is that if you say to a child, here is a sweet, I'm going to leave the room, you may eat it, but when I come back, if you haven't eaten it, you can have two. You can then see how long you can leave it before in the end they go, it's a big deal. And actually, um, it's a very good predictor, apparently, of adult maturity, which doesn't bode very well for me at the age of 44. Um, But apparently, this whole thing of being able to do now what will benefit me in the future but may not feel good now is one of the keys to any maturity of any person, of any culture, of any background. It's something children have to learn. We know that. Children as babies need immediate gratification. Well, they need what they need, and they need it now. And they will cry until they get it. That's important. But as they grow, and as we grow, the ability to be able to say, I want this now, but by saying no to it, or by doing something different, then I'm going to reap a harvest in the future. It's fundamental to the way we tick. And this is something Paul picks up on. It's very simple. It's not rocket science. He simply says this. Here is this basic principle of life, and you know what? It doesn't just apply to your health and fitness, to parenting, to what you eat. It also applies to your life with God. And you know what? It doesn't just apply to your life with God. It applies to our life as a church with God. You reap what you sow, and sometimes that reaping takes time and effort. Um, I have oftentimes told you, and I promise it's not false modesty, um, of my inability to get into a really good routine of exercise. And my problem is that every now and again I take a rush of blood to the head and I um, sign myself up for a 10k race. Um, In fact, I have one coming up um, in, I think, five weeks' time. Yeah. Maybe four. Anyway, it's quite soon. And um, generally what happens um, is that as that race gets closer... Um, I get a little bit more panicky and a little bit more focused, and then I start to do some running, um, usually, um, and and maybe go for at least one run before I do the race. And on one occasion, did actually train for a few weeks, and remarkably did rather better on that occasion. The difficulty is that actually for me, the process of 
of exercise is incredibly counterintuitive because, A, I rarely feel like it. Okay? You may be very different, but I just generally don't feel like going out and exercising. B, when I do exercise, although I immediately feel better afterwards, at the time and in the process of exercising, quite often I don't feel better. And thirdly, I can go for runs over a few weeks and not really immediately notice the improvement. Give me a few months, and I do. Although somehow I managed to forget that a few months later when I got out of the habit. Now, I I know that I'm not alone in this because there are entire industries built around our inability to do effectively delayed gratification, that what I do today may not have an immediate effect, but it has one in the future. The entire dieting industry is built around that. Almost all of the fitness um, industry is built around that because we really struggle. It's hard. Of course, it's not just hard in the area of fitness. It's hard as well when it comes to more relational things. I think it's one of the hardest things about parenting. There's all sorts of things that we have to do or not do as parents that, on the face of it, seem to bring us more grief. A really big example, I think, that we all struggle with as parents is how much easier life is sometimes to lie to our children, even though we know in the back of our minds that if we lie to them now, in the long term, we're building up all sorts of grief. So it's much easier to say, actually, I don't have any money in my pocket than to say, actually, no, I'm not buying you an ice cream. Uh, it's all right. We're all doing that little guilt thing. But, it, uh, but the point is this. The point isn't that that is somehow the worst thing we can ever do. The key is we know at our, at our gut level that actually toughing it out sometimes is really important. But because it feels so bad at the time and because the harvest is so far in the future, and let's face it, it's not guaranteed either, it's the problem with harvests, then it's really hard to do it now. There's another problem with it. So if we've picked up two problems with, you know, so now, reap later problem. One is the delay. Another one is the sheer hard work of it. There's a third one as well, which is, if we're part of something bigger than ourselves, there's this whole business of, but they're not playing their part. You know, if you're part of a team and you, you're going to go training but somebody never turns up, it's much harder for you to turn up because you think, well, they don't do their thing. I, I, I mean, I use this excuse, and it is an excuse. I just tell you that now. I use this excuse if I'm meant to be, as I'm meant to be all of the time, eating a bit more healthfully. You know, I look at somebody else, you know, who can eat cakes and biscuits until, you know, they come out of their ears and it doesn't seem to affect them. And I think, well, that's not fair. I, I, why should I have to do this? And they don't. There are all sorts of reasons why we find this stuff tough. And Paul is not stupid. Paul is somebody who experiences, in the midst of his writing, and shows us that he is experiencing, all the same sort of stuff that we go through. It's one of the things I love about Paul's letters. They are raw and honest and straightforward. And he says it how it is. So, for example, in the bit that we're not looking at particularly closely, but just as an example... um, Verse 4 of this chapter that we looked at. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to somebody else, for each one should carry their own load. It's one of the hardest things, I think, about church life, isn't it? We don't know what's going on in one another's lives. We don't know one another's financial resources. We don't know one another's demands 
on their family life or on their working life or on their personal and emotional lives. We don't know one another's situation. And so it's really easy to think, hang on, every week I'm turning up and doing this. Or I'm giving all this money and I bet nobody else is. Or whatever. Rather than asking the question, am I testing myself and doing and giving to the level of what I'm able to do and give? In other words, am I testing myself, not comparing myself with someone else? It's really hard to do. I find it hard. But there's two more things, and I think they're, they're really the heart of what I want to say today. And they're a little bit later in the passage. Listen to verse 7. Firstly, he hammers in in verse 7 and 8 the basic principle. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. By that, he doesn't mean God doesn't have a sense of humor, by the way. I think God has a fantastic sense of humor. I think the point is that God isn't a fool, but also the way God has built the universe is the way God has built the universe. You reap where you sow. You can't get around that basic equation of life. Much as I hope that I'm going to be able to run 10K races faster and faster and faster without actually having to do any of the pesky training in between, it's not the way I'm built, and it's not the way life works. What Paul is saying is that's true spiritually and in the life of the church as well. You and I, I suspect, by the simple fact we're here in church, want the life of all souls to grow and develop and to thrive. We want more and more people to get to know the love of Jesus. We want to have more and more of a positive impact on our community. We want to do more and more that make more and more of a difference where we are. But we sort of hope that that might happen without the sowing bit, that we can just enjoy the harvest, enjoy the reaping of it. But Paul says, you can't get around this basic equation of life. You reap where you sow. But then he also says, um, you have to be careful where you sow. If you sow in the spirit, he says, you're going to reap a harvest that is a good and a spiritual harvest. If you look at the end of chapter 5, you'll find that he actually uses this language again about where does the fruit of your life come from? Is it going to be the fruit of the spirit or of the sinful nature? The fact is, there will be fruit in my life and in your life. The question is, what sort of fruit is it going to be? Um, yesterday, we got to visit my parents um, and haven't been to see their house. And it's dreadful, sorry to admit this. They come to see us more often. We haven't been to see them since they moved in about two years. We've been once since they moved in about two, two and a half years ago. My mum has just transformed their garden. It's fantastic. It was basically a, um, just a, a patch of earth before, and it's beautiful now. And one of the things that she and I did yesterday afternoon was walk around the garden, and I, I kept saying, so what's that? And, I mean, I know nothing about plants. So, you know, I, what, what, and in particular, what are these trees? They planted five trees. And, um, and I want to know, so what, so, you know, there was a, there's a cherry tree that they planted right in the middle of the garden. And I want to know, so is it going to be edible? I love cherries. It's a bit, it's a bit of a selfish question to ask. Um, and, and actually, if, if she'd planted um, a crabapple tree, she couldn't have said, yes, it's going to have cherries, could she? It, it, you only reap what you sow. You only harvest what you've put in. Paul says you have to be careful where you're planting, what you're putting your energies into. And that applies across the board. Uh, we know that applies um, with the effort that we put into life in general, but it applies in our spiritual lives too. I can't expect, expect to grow in my faith if I'm not investing in that. I've gone through most of my 44 years of existence hoping that my prayer life will improve. But I'm still having to learn the lesson that it won't improve unless I actually invest 
in my prayer life. I keep hoping that one morning I'm going to magically wake up and have this deep burning desire to spend an hour and a half with the Lord. And some of you may have exactly that. I'm really sorry to disappoint you. That's not the way I tick. I wake up in the morning and I want to go back to sleep. Um, Generally. Um, Or, sometimes even worse, I just want to get get on with my to-do list. I want to tick things off. I want to get things achieved. But unless I invest, I'm not going to reap a harvest in that way. I, I, you know, I sometimes hope, and I've gone through life hoping that, that actually my, my relationships with other people as friends, my relationship with my kids as a parent, or with my, my wife as a husband, that all of those are somehow just going to get better magically day by day. But actually, I'm realizing more and more I have to invest in those. I have to sow so that I can harvest. And the problem is that I know that it doesn't mean I put X in, I get X out. That's not the way harvests work. It's, it doesn't come immediately, and it's not always exactly what I hoped for. But, but I know that I need to sow so that I can reap. And that's why he writes verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good. Isn't it good to hear Paul say that? Because he wouldn't say that unless there were times when he got weary. He wouldn't say that unless he knew there were times when you and I felt like giving up. He says, don't get weary, because he knows there are going to be times in your life and in my life when the last thing we want to do is to pray. When the last thing that we want to do is to go out to home group or to be part of a small group or even to come to church on a Sunday. Absolutely the last thing. But he says, don't get weary, because what you sow, you reap. He knows Because he has to say, don't get weary. There are going to be times when we've turned up to help lead children's groups on a Sunday and we think, why me again? Is it really worth it? Am I really pouring anything in here? And where's everybody else? Why is there nobody here yet? I did that every Sunday, but anyway. Um, I'm kidding. Actually, what you sow, you reap, but you don't always reap it straight away. I think of the people who are my children's group leaders. I was saying this to the children's leaders this morning when we had our um, team prayers at 10. And I was thinking thinking this morning of those who were my children's group leaders over the, whatever it was, 18 years I was in a children's group at church or a youth group. And thinking, you know, there must have been times when I was or looked or acted uninterested, bored, didn't want to be there. And yet these remarkable women and men didn't give up on me. These remarkable people I look back on with such gratitude didn't say, oh, I'm not seeing any harvest here. And what about what we give financially? That's the hardest of all not to get weary with. I look at my monthly statements and I look at the money going out of my account. And I think, over the course of a year, that could buy me a holiday. That could. That'd be nice. I wonder what other people are giving. And I wonder if I gave a little bit less. Or, you know, what does it really achieve, that little bit of money? You know, all that stuff. Paul says to me, Don't get weary in doing good because you reap what you sow. You don't reap it straight away? Sure. You don't always reap exactly what you sow? Absolutely. The harvest isn't always everything you want it to be? Definitely. Though sometimes it's far more than you could possibly imagine. Do you always get the full benefit of your harvest? Definitely not. I I was thinking this morning of the the group um, of people in St. Stephen's Church 14 years ago um, who gave financially out of their own pockets, gave away a large sum of money 
so that this church could get restarted in September 2000. Most of them didn't get to reap any harvest at all, but the kingdom has reaped an amazing harvest. So there is still a harvest for what they've given, but they had to not get weary in doing it. So I read this passage and I think, you know, what is this this family about? Well, you know, family life sometimes is all about keeping your eyes on that harvest at the end. You know, holding your nerve in your marriage or with your kids or actually with your parents and saying, what I invest now, what I sow now is worth it because there's a harvest at the end. And actually, our family life together as a church is about keeping our eyes on what's important, on not getting weary or giving up because things don't always feel good at the time or that we don't always see the harvest straight away or that we don't see the harvest that we hoped for or somebody else gets the benefit of it. Actually, the spiritual principle is still a spiritual principle. We will only reap a harvest as we sow. So the question of count me in for us as the family of God is very simple. What has God placed in your hands to sow? That's the question. And do you really really believe that he's put them in your hands in order to reap a harvest? So he's put faith in your hands. And as you grow that faith, that's investing, sowing in a harvest for the future. The lives that you will affect, the people that you will whose lives you will make a difference to because your faith is growing. You've no idea. Some of you sitting here, I'm looking out at this sea of faces and thinking, some of you have absolutely no idea how your growth in faith has been the most unbelievable encouragement to somebody else. And you have no idea about it. You have no idea how simply you being here on the Sundays lifted somebody's spirit. What about the gifts and the skills or the time that God's put in your hands to sow? And you're looking at somebody else thinking, well, they've got far more than I have. No, 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 no. The point is, what's God put in your hands? Your availability. The fact you like kids. That's a good one. Your your simple ability to smile and welcome people or to sit behind the video desk and point a mouse or whatever it is. And what about the money that you have? How could you be investing that in the harvest of the kingdom? Because where you invest it, that's where you'll get your return. Where you sow it, that's where the harvest will be. And will it be a harvest that lasts into eternity or a harvest that simply eventually will fall through your fingers? It's a massive encouragement because it means that whatever you put in is not wasted. I put on my Facebook page, I reposted something that somebody else put, which was a quote about whatever is invest, whatever you do for a child is never wasted. Paul would want to say, yes, that's true. But actually, whatever you sow for the sake of the kingdom is never wasted. Even if you don't get to see the harvest at the end of it. Even if it's the most behind the scenes, the most down to earth, the most unnoticed, the most taken for granted. In God's economy, in God's harvest field, it is never, ever wasted. We're going to come to communion. And more than anything else in all of history, anywhere on the planet, by any human being, what Jesus invested in you has more than anything else the harvest. What he did on the cross looked like complete failure. It looked like a completely hopeless, empty 
harvestless act. And yet in dying, he then reaps a harvest of lives turned around and of a world that's turned on its head. And so as we come up to communion, maybe with empty hands, and as we say to God, I've got so little to give, I've got so little to invest, to sow, let's remember what he gave. And let's be confident in the harvest in this church, in our lives, in our families' lives, and in this community of the little that we sow. Amen.